Before you dive into this exciting episode, I'd like to let you know about the Squash Playbook, your tactical blueprint for success. The playbook is written based on the most common solutions I have given to the people I coach over the last 20 years. It is the ultimate how-to guide for any squash fan, and you can grab a free copy right away by visiting squashplaybook.com or clicking on the link in the show notes. Are you freaked out by that hard-hitting hacker? Frustrated with running out of ideas against the relentless retriever? Want to close out matches more clinically when in the lead? Or do you need some mental tools to overcome bad calls by referees? These answers plus many more have been brought together all in one place for the squash community. The Squash Playbook is a practical toolkit that breaks down over 40 scenarios that are most commonly faced on the court. Each scenario provides the psychology and the strategy needed to get a positive result. Each chapter wraps up with the top six key points to keep things simple and practical. The aim of the book is to transform reactive players into proactive tacticians. I focus on breaking down complex situations into straightforward, effective strategies for those high pressure moments in a match. So why not grab your copy now and step onto the court next time with a clear head and a set of strategies to win those matches you know you're capable of. Please enjoy the show. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to your next episode of the podcast series. Today on the show, I welcome Mark Andrew Burke. Mark is a proud Australian slash Belgian. He's been involved in squash for 37 years and played on the PSA Tour until 2004 with the highest world ranking of 97. He also represented the, he also represented the Belgian national team. He's been coaching for the last 25 years with a UKCC Level 3 certificate and a master's degree in sports coaching from the University of Queensland. Mark was also the national coach of Luxembourg for four years and then started at Cornell in 2019, where he is now the assistant coach to the men's and women's squash program. Both teams finished in the top eight in the 2023 season. His current role at Cornell combines his knowledge of coaching and mentoring players whilst building an inclusive and successful team culture. Mark and I have been friends for many years, so it was an absolute pleasure to sit down with him and discuss the incredible journey he's been on and the positive impact he's making on the young lives of athletes. Our conversation delves into his role at Cornell University and we explore the fascinating story of how he arrived there. It's truly remarkable. We discuss his transition from Australia to Europe as a young aspiring pro, as well as the ups and downs that came with it. 
Mark paints a vivid picture of his experiences as a young professional athlete, training diligently while also supplementing his daily expenses with coaching income. From early on, Mark was drawn to coaching. He found true joy and passion in it. He reflects on his ascent to the position of national coach for Luxembourg and the valuable learning experiences he gained there. We also touch on the topic of team culture at Cornell and the key elements required to build a successful collegiate team. David Palmer, the head coach at Cornell, has played a significant role in Mark's life, both as a young athlete and now as a coach. Mark shares invaluable insights and wisdom on what it takes to thrive as a student athlete in the high-pressure environment of U.S. college squash. There's so much more to discuss that it feels like we're ready for a second episode, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy my engaging conversation with Mark Andrew Burke. Mark Andrew Burke, welcome to the next episode of the podcast series. Really cool to have you here. I know we've had a bit of offline chat back and forth over the last couple of months and really good we could sit down and have a chat here today. But listen, as always, a cool place to kick things off. Would you like to just give a quick brief introduction to yourself, currently what you're doing, where you're at, just a bit of an overview of things? Sure. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. Thanks for having me on. Um, been a fan of your podcast uh, since you started, so um, it's great to to be able to contribute. Um, so yeah, my name is Mike Kendra Burke. I'm, I'm Australian, um, always will be Australian, even though I've spent <laughs> most of my life, uh, well, at least more than half now away from Australia. Um, I left Australia in 98, um, came to Europe to play squash. Um, and I've been in Europe now for more than 20 years, um, came over, I guess when I was late 20s, a bit of a late starter in squash. Um, I actually started the sport late as well. I was sort of 14, 15 when I got serious about it. Um, But then sort of late 20s, I decided it was sort of now or never. And at that time, there was it was a bit of a bit of a base in Amsterdam. Um, There was um, Anthony Hill was there at the time. Paul Price was there. His brother, Mark Price, was there. Johnny Williams was there. And there was... Yeah, and so when I decided to to come over, um, I was obviously playing first grade squash in Sydney. And decided I wasn't really happy with what I was doing with my my work side of things. I was basically a boring desk job, and I thought, you know, geez, is this going to be my life? Um, did before I left Australia, I did a few um, coaching courses um, because I knew that I was not going to be top 20 player, but I, I hope to get pretty high, but I, mm-hmm. I knew I was always, and I, and actually, to be honest, in the beginning, I always sort of gravitated towards coaching people. So it was not that hard for me to, to, to do some courses and stuff like that. And nice. actually just before, just before I left something worthy to note, um, I was training in Western Australia and I, I did a, I played a PSA satellite tournament in, in Tasmania. It was the Hobart, Hobart Open or the Tasmanian Open, actually, I think it was Tasmanian Open, which I actually won a few times. Um, nice. But there was a guy there called Ian Hocking, mm-hmm. and he had a club, um, and he had been bought out by a school. So uh, literally, um, the Society of Friends, the, the sort of the Quakers re- re- sort of religion, had okay. been bought out his club, and he was looking for. And I'd, I'd come over to play the Tasmanian Open, and I won won the tournament. Um, and he came to me after the event and said, "I'm looking for 
a squash professional. Like this is this is what I'm setting up. I got a school that's going to invest, you know, a couple of million dollars, and and so that job became sort of my first um, sort of full time coaching job. But at the same time, he was happy for me to still travel and play PSA. So oh, awesome. I used to I used to fly over to Victoria and train with Roger Flynn. Mm -hmm. who was running the, the Victorian Institute of Sport program there. So I got to train with him quite a bit. Um, and I would I would play in Malaysia and New Zealand and stuff like that. So that two-year period was really good. And I, I he's not with us anymore in hockey. He actually died of a heart attack on the squash court. Oh, no. Wow. When, when was that? Some people might say, what a way to go. Yeah, um, true. Sure. But he, he did a lot for me in the early days. And... Um, also motivated me to keep trying to improve and be a better squash player. So, but from that sort of period, I sort of decided, okay, let's let's save up some money, let's let's try try to move to Europe and see what I can what I can do and where I can go. But obviously, you, you need a place to stay. So, um, I'm not sure if Paul Price is listening to your podcast, but he was he was uh, he did me a big favor in the beginning. He gave me a little square in his apartment with a with a with a with a mattress i think actually, i think it was johnny williams corner as well when oh, he wow. was when he, so um and and yeah got me into some league teams i played in a in a league team in um in amsterdam to start off with i think i was like 10 on the list we had jonathan power paul price was in the team wow um you know i got to see some amazing squash players anthony hill was in the team but he didn't play a lot in those days um sort of was mostly drinking coffee at the bar or <laughs> it was one of those actually frequenting the local bars. frequenting the local cafes maybe but yeah probably <laughs> when i saw him play it was like wow what a player but he never seemed to train at that wow. period wow um, so and actually even even there was a young army shabana who it was about 18 19 at the time and he was coming over to hang out with hilly um <laughs> that's incredible and, and uh, and I didn't, yeah, obviously he went on to be one of the great, greatest players. But at that time, I think he was having a bit of a, like, coming to the end of juniors, not sure what I'm doing um, sort of periods. So that was the sort of environment that I arrived in in Amsterdam. Um, and I was obviously gung-ho and I wanted to train and I wanted to be as good as I could. So there was lots of guys to hit with. But unfortunately, a lot of them were away a lot. You know, Pricey was a top 20 player. Johnny Williams was a top 20 player. So... There was not that many guys to train with, and the ones that were there weren't getting up before midday. Okay. So uh, <laughs> it was, to be honest, Amsterdam was not my scene. Um, it was good for a few weeks, but after that, um, it was not serious enough. You know, mm -hmm. I, I wanted to improve, I wanted to train. So I ended up moving, I sort of gravitated south. I ended up going to The Hague. Mm -hmm. um, and I got, a, I got a sort of a part time coaching job, which gave me a little bit of stability. And I got a place to live. And there was a good little training group down there um, with uh, Mike Corrin, yeah. uh, Cameron White, uh, Glenn Keenan. Mm -hmm. um, that was sort of like the sort of training group uh, um, down there. And so I trained most days with them. Um, and so, yeah, I got started to improve, started to play a few local events in Europe, um, tried to, to get to as many PSA events as I could. Um, started to work my way up a little bit um, and started to make a few trips to America for, you know, they had, like they still struggle a little bit, it seems like on the tour, try to string some of these smaller events together so young guys can can get over there and play a few events in a row. I, yeah. I, I mean, I 
follow it so closely. We've got one guy on the Cornell team at the moment, Vichy Trani, who's trying to break in. And it seems to be just as difficult, um, you know, uh, it? now. Well, it hasn't improved that much, you feel? Not for that, not for that level, it seems no. like. Um, seems like the top of the pyramid, yeah, seems decent. Through, yeah, everybody always of... talks about, about the income and, and the events for the top guys, which obviously is important. Um, but if you, yeah, if you look at that pyramid, I think there's a lot of guys who, who sort of struggle to play enough events. Um, sure. And if they do, it costs them a lot of money. Mm, to, totally. to play those events so yeah so that was sort of like um and then i had a bit of a bit of a break um david palmer was training in antwerp and um i knew david obviously as a young aussie guy he was you know he's, he's seven years younger than me i think um and he obviously i knew him from from sydney i'm from sydney as well so i knew him as sort of like an 18 19 year old sort of future Top Gun. He was in the mm -hmm. Australian Institute of Sport as well for a little while. Um, and he was training in, in Antwerp with Sean Moxham. And Sean Moxham was was his coach. Um, and they had a little training group that they started down there. There was another guy. I don't know if you remember Peter Pastain. I don't Belgium, actually. I don't quite Belgium recall number that. One. Mm. Pretty decent player, sort of mm. 70, 80 in the world. He was, he was in that group. Um, and there was a few girls as well in that group. And so David said, yeah, do you want to come down? I'm looking for extra guys to train. And I suppose even though he was like, you know, top, I think then he might have been top 10, but not quite world champion. Um, mm -hmm. He was looking for fit guys that that could train hard. Um, awesome. And so that was a good good opportunity for me. And and in the end, that sort of, sort of I continued my gravitation south and I ended up moving <laughs> then to Antwerp. Nice. Um and I based myself there and Sean, Sean gave, got me uh, another coaching job where I could do like 10, 12 hours a week. Actually, when I think about those days, I was training two sessions a day with David and Sean and still coaching five hours a day. Wow. Incredible. And I, I don't know how I did that. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't be able to do that now. Um, so started training in that, in that training group, um, which was, which was fantastic for me. Um, you know, I eventually made it to the top hundred, um, but that period that sort of I spent three years training with them. Um, a few guys came and gone in that in that group, but it was myself uh, and Peter, sort of the punching bags for David and Sean. Sean was also coaching us, so Sean was also my coach during that period, and I was I learned a lot from him as well. Nice. Mm -hmm. um, but just watching, actually watching David go about his business on a day-to-day -day basis um, was impressive and something that, that has stayed with me um, and, and being, being part of that. And um, obviously having, having the guts run out of me most days, um, <laughs> but you know, when you fit and, and, and that was my game as well. So I was, I was a retriever and a guy that would try to keep people on court as long as mm. possible. So um, yeah. And it's why like sets of three hundred court sprints and all different you know pressure sessions that 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 we would we would do with him. Um, crazy, crazy. So yeah, <laughs> and um, and that probably kind of going to link us in nicely to to kind of the evolution because you and David Palmer still working closely together at Cornell and yeah. you know I suppose that's kind of maybe the just the the second half of your journey is you know you, you know you briefly told me that you know and I knew this but you were national coach for Luxembourg that was had its kind of 
highs and lows and then you know cornell and moving across to the states and possibly moving your whole family or possibly moving your whole family across soon so do you want to just um maybe yeah. to light the second half of your kind of your journey yeah there's a, there's an important piece in the beginning is meeting my wife obviously um so yeah when you know david was was coming i wouldn't say coming to the end of his career but he was realizing okay you know where's where's where am i going to base myself he had also um his daughter miley um and 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 kayla were were little actually i think miley was born in america and kayla was was very small when he was in antwerp um they were looking to move um and he ended up moving and so that sort of training group and i was sort of getting you know 34 35 i was still playing pretty high level actually i met my wife just just before i was sort of deciding whether i was going to go to okay. america as well and mm -hmm. i remember I, I played a psa tournament in albany and i met a really nice family there who have actually stayed um family friends came to our wedding no way and uh, building building me at the time for this tournament in albany and there was a job going uh, at heights casino mm -hmm. um and it's funny how the the world sort of circles around, but the the head coach at the time was Mark Devoy, mm -hmm. um, who ended up being one of the coaches at Cornell as well after Heights Casino. <laughs> and I went down there and I did the interview, and it was sort of like, okay, do I move to America and take this job, or do I stay in Belgium for the girl um, who I'd <laughs> met? And I think I made the right choice, so I ended up staying, um, and then. You know, we got married. I started a, a, a coaching academy in 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 Belgium, in Odenada, where we where we still are living right now. Um, and I was there for 12, 13 years, and that was that was great. That was pretty successful. A lot of uh, a lot of high level juniors come out of that. One you might know, uh, Jan von der Hedewegen. Of course, he played. Um, he played for my Surrey Cup team for a couple of years. So I know yeah. know Jan well. He, Good he, lad. He was he was uh, he came out of that program, um, and and so. I pretty much made the best of what I could make of it in those years in Belgium. Um, and my wife and I obviously built a house, had kids. We've got three lovely kids, two daughters and a son. Um, Amazing. Yeah. And so, but gradually over the years, squash has sort of petered off a little bit um, in Belgium and, and I guess Holland a little bit as well. They're hanging in there. Um, in Germany is definitely not as big as it used to be when, you know, Bundesliga was, mm. was huge and, and there was a lot happening there. So I came, came to a point where um, the club thing, I guess I grew out of it a little bit. I got the opportunity to go to Luxembourg um, and I was there for four years. Um, that was also good and bad. Um, it was a bit of a startup in terms of they didn't really have a national program. Mm -hmm. They had a good, sort of infrastructure of a of a uh, like a state-sponsored sports school so they had the foundation to start a, a national program which is pretty much what i did um uh politics at the board level um difficulties of being national coach um frustration of not having everything in your hands i suppose a lot of a lot of a lot of national coaches or or people in national setups would would understand that side of things but mm -hmm. And then, um, to be honest, I, I was looking for what I was going to do after that. And I was at the European um, Junior Championships in Prague. And I got a call from David, um, who 
you know, 10 years had left, had left Europe 10 years ago, but we obviously had stayed good friends and probably not as in contact as, as, as we'd like, but we were both busy. And he said, yeah, I need a, I need a hand over here at, at Cornell. Um, would you be interested to come over and, and help out for a couple of weeks? And, and I said, yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. So, but at that point I didn't really know too much about what college squash was. Mm -hmm. um, obviously if you haven't been in that world of varsity sport, you know, the, the, the inter, inter college sort of sport, you know, you see it on TV, you see basketball, you see college football, you see, ice hockey, there's the big three, I suppose. Um, you, you see that on, you know, swirling around in the media or on, online or you hear people talk about it or you might know a player that went over there to play for, for you know, Harvard or whatever. Mm -hmm. But until you've really been there, you don't really know what it, what it is and what it means, especially like as a coach, like, sure. you know, what's the job like and things like that. So... That two-week period, I was basically a, an official volunteer. Um, a lot of things, especially uh, at Cornell, um, I can vouch for a lot of things are very official. So there had to be, you know, I had to be a, a, a recognized as being able to work for Cornell. So they do background checks and things like that. And mm -hmm. so I was an official volunteer for a couple of weeks, but it was... Yeah, it was sort of a baptism of fire, sort of getting thrown into that. I mean, obviously, I knew David, and and I knew his his incredible mindset when it come to creating a training environment because I'd, mm -hmm. I'd lived, um, and I'd say I was a for a certain portion a product of it as well. Um, sure. In terms of you know, like as you go along, if we could make a whole podcast about that. But as you go along in your coaching journey, you have your coaches. You have the influences, you have the people you meet along the way, you have the people you coach that also influence you. 100%. And then mm. you, you never really become a finished product mm -hmm. um, or shouldn't be anyway. Um, Lifelong student. But yeah, but you, you, you bring it, all those experiences with you. And he definitely um, definitely impressed upon me the, the I guess, the, the, the way to go about doing the daily work um mm -hmm. and, and setting goals and and being consistent you know you heard that Den you, you probably know it better than me you have that denzel washington um quote where he says you know you make goals you have dreams and you make goals um but if you can't be consistent you're never going to reach those yeah. goals you know that type of thing um, well, on that i just I, I love inserting this the navy seal one is like you don't rise to the level of your dreams you fall to the level of your goals or you only you fall to the level of your behaviors so it's kind of like yeah, you yeah. can have these great goals and dreams up here but yeah. it's actually your daily behaviors that when you're under pressure those are what come to the party so yeah, yeah i love that kind of way of thinking as well yeah so so yeah that two-week period was great um obviously you know, um, he threw me in to, to coach different players. Um, there, there was also a few, he has a lot of, David has a lot of, I mean, uh, we have a lot of visitors that come to Cornell. We have a lot of people that come and train there, not just high level players like Saurabh Gosal or before him, Muhammad El Shabagi, mm -hmm. um, Holly Norton is, 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 is quite often recently Charlie, Charlie Lee as well has started coming over and working a bit with David, but nice. we have also, from time to time, groups of players that come in, like for instance, the national team of of South Korea, 
was visiting at the time. Nice. So I was working a little bit with them at the time and then doing my work for, with the college kids. Um, but I also got to do my first road trip. Um, so I went away with the team to Philadelphia and we played against Drexel. Cool. Um, so when I think about that trip, actually, I, I sort of cringe because I was probably had no idea <laughs> what I was doing or what I was getting into. I mean, obviously, you're in this this dynamic. It's a it's a pretty cool thing. There's a lot of training that goes on, but when you do the trips and when you when you get away um, with the team, you know you you know it's it's uh, it might be a 10 a.m. start. You know the kids roll up, they got their breakfast in their hand. Sometimes, even though we tell them to eat beforehand, <laughs> they jump on the bus. There's you know a lot of banter. There's a lot of teasing and 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 this you know we we're a pretty cool team as well a lot of teams are separate so the men and the women are two separate programs but okay. you know david is very big and was very big from the beginning of having one program nice so you have this dynamic of the guys and the girls on the bus and just you know david and i were at the front of the bus and i've still got photos of that first trip when i was a volunteer awesome um, and i i guess you know I, I sort of got accepted by by the team as well. I mean, it's it's sort of one of those things you get a, you're accepted for what you are also putting into it. You know, like if I, I gave everything I had that trip, mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. I tried to get to know the players. I I tried to get to uh, make good good connections with them in that two week period. Mm, I like I that. Had coach coach some of them uh during the matches you know david and i we we sort of split up the matches and you've got this guy i've got that guy sort of thing so the kids that you coach you know the first and that doesn't always go well some kids are, are tricky to coach so the mm -hmm. first match you do with them might not go particularly well but the cool thing is then you come back from those trips and then you're back in training and you get to unpack that whole experience together of like, you know, nice. Uh, I didn't really appreciate when you said to me, Oh, you're looking tired. Um, you know, things like that. I can remember one comment mm. that I got back and, and, and in my, my view as a coach in that moment, I was trying to motivate them and expected the answer to say, well, I'm not tired. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. Let's go. But it can sometimes backfire, Flips. you know, like, yeah. And that's well, so, that, that's great for your knowledge to kind of go, actually, we need to speak to athletes on, on different levels, yeah. need to kind of read the room a little bit better in a way. And, and yeah, and you something you, you said there, which I think is really important just to note that, you know, that two week period, you went there and yes, you might have had the best squash knowledge out there, but actually maybe it was building the relationships is even more valuable sure. than actual knowledge, like speaking to them sure. on a human level, not just like, this is how you play better squash. This is how you flourish as a human. It sounds like you did that pretty well. And, and we yeah, might unpack no, that no, as we go today as well. It's definitely, it's a work in progress. And, and when I, that's why I say when I, I cringed a little bit, when I think back and I guess it's pretty normal. That's what I tried to say in the beginning, like this whole college like there's such a tradition in America of, of being a, a student athlete or a, or a varsity level athlete. Mm -hmm. Like it's like on these colleges as well, you have club teams as well. So mm -hmm. you, you have at Cornell, we have a club team. We're not really involved with them from time to time. We have a little bit of contact with them. Sometimes one of the better club players who's effectively, uh, you know, a, a guy that's got into or a girl that's got into Cornell on their own steam, mm -hmm. but can is pretty handy at squash sometimes they become good enough to maybe come and try out to what we call walk on to the team. Mm -hmm. um, so we don't have that much. So what I wanted to say, you know, like you, you have this whole tradition of, of being a college level 
a recruited athlete, which is a little bit different to a walk-on, which I can explain a bit later. But uh, re- to be a recruited athlete is is already an honor, and already there's a whole tradition of what that means that comes with it. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, like being at college, eventually you become an alumni, but you also become an alumni of the squash program. Okay. Um, so, and, and what comes with that is a whole network of people that you can call on or that you're introduced to. You know, we have, you know, many, many people that are still in, in, in contact with the program as, as squash alumni that, that date back to 1957. That's ridiculous. It would be a, wow. A guy, called, a guy called Jeffrey Lakin, who is, is a big supporter of the program, helps mm. us, um, was one of the people that started a, a focus group of, of alumni that sort of created like a board. So there's this whole, and that that's not just in squash. That's, that's in every single sport. Mm. I love that. And yeah, so that's, that's, you know, being a student athlete is, is, is a big deal. Um, but as an international squash player, you don't really get that until you arrive. Right. What that all means. I think, you know, if you're if you're coming from the UK or from India, we have a lot of players from India in our team or from Malaysia, where Siva uh, Subramaniam is from or from Australia or wherever you might be. Um, you don't really understand what that whole thing is about mm. until you arrive. You need to um, live it and kind of be, yeah, kind of really be yeah. there. Yeah, mm, That's which, incredible. Which includes, which includes being a coach. That, that's, mm. that's, that's, you're in the same boat. You know, you're trying same. to trying to learn it. So, mm. so um, listen, I think we're on a lovely little kind of thread here and I want to keep unpacking this with you. I'm keen to understand, you know, you as a coach, you know, learning from Palmer, kind of what type of environment gets set, you know, like it sounds like, you know, we know David as, as a real elite player, you know, the, the Marine, the nickname, I think he worked with the Australian rugby team at one point. And, you know, again, you're not obviously going to be able to kind of talk about everything, but what type of environment do you like to set? So your expectations and, and, and where the benchmark lies for yourself and for David within your coaching setup. Yeah, I think, um, I think it was in some ways, uh, what I expected having, having been a player and, and one of David's, uh, sort of sparring partners in his group. I, I sort of, I didn't expect him to be, super relaxed in terms of like uh chilled and 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 you know it was going to be a whole bunch of fun even though we do have fun um i knew it was going to be serious i knew it was going to be goal oriented i knew it was going to be uh definitely um definitely being fit and being being mentally mentally tough um was going to be a big part of the environment so i wasn't under any illusions, um, what it was going to be like. And in a way, I, I suppose that suits me as well. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. like I said, you know, that, that three years had a big impression on me, but I was, I was already somebody who was, who took, took the sport serious and took training for the sport serious. And I think I've always been, uh, goal oriented. I just, sometimes I, if you're that type of growth mindset, it's it, you can't imagine another way to do things if you know what I mean. Um, so when I came into that environment, um, it's a little bit complex to explain because you have a, a very big variation of even though you have we have eighteen men on our roster and we have fourteen women. Um, there's a big, big um, sort of range of standards. Right. You know, we have 
you know, you have on the women's team, you have Siva Subramaniam, who was a um, British Open finalist, who was, when she came into the program, she was one of the best juniors in the world. We have also a, 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 on our men's team, Via Chitrani, who was also top four at the World Juniors um, in his time as well. So you have that level, hmm. but then you have also, you know, there's nine players that play in a college match, but mm -hmm. you have you have a list of 18 players on the men's team, and and those those other players are trying to get into the top nine. So mm, of course, yeah. the level the level there is good. I mean, you know, we're we're talking top ten in Europe. Um, we're talking definitely, you know, either in the national team of India, for example, or knocking on mm. the door of being in the national team. So they're they're good juniors. And and what um, roughly what ratings? Because I know the US uses the rating system. So if you're outside the top nine, what was the rough kind of demographic of ratings? Yeah. I don't keep abreast of that too much. <laughs> I can enough. give you a ballpark. I would right. say on the on the I would say around five and a half is 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 the sort of the limit of of getting into the starting nine. Cool. Uh, on the men's that's on the women's on the men's program, probably yeah, I don't think you're gonna get in the starting nine if you have a rating lower than six okay uh, so but like what i was trying to get to you have you know like you have this environment that you're creating you have also the environment that david is is setting and that and that to be honest over the four years we're now setting that together mm -hmm. um but you have sort of a complexity of of a lot of players at all different levels of development even when they come in um, whether it's, uh, I give an example, like in India, the courts are very fast. Um, they hit the crap out of the ball and the ball flies. So there's not a lot of volleying that goes on. And quite often that's the first thing that you notice with the players that you get from India, they're used to playing on very fast courts. So, you know, in, in, in America, the courts are a bit slower and, you know, David's obviously a big proponent of stepping up on the T line and taking the ball early. So mm -hmm. you have that. And besides the technical aspect or tactical aspect of that, you have also, you have juniors that come in that have been used to being juniors, uh, going to the Asian Junior Championships, going, coming over to Europe in the summer and playing the Pioneer or the Dutch Junior and, and doing well, but playing for themselves predominantly. Okay. Sometimes they might be the national team and they go to the Asian, Asian Team Championships. But when you come to college squash, it's a real team environment so um what i mean by that is when when you play you play as a team and so there comes with that a whole different set of pressures um and that that filters into the training environment as well so we're mm. trying to create squash players but we're trying to create a team of squash players and and you know there's a pecking order of the starting nine and we have challenge matches to get into the starting nine and okay. no, nobody, nobody is really excused from having to challenge to, to stay in the starting nine or to get in the starting nine. So if you can imagine that sort of, if you put that as a sort of like a, as an overlay on sure. the whole training environment, um, it's, it's pretty unique. I mm. feel like it's definitely something that, that I've, I've learned and, and become better at, at, at sort of uh, steering, mm -hmm. um, but and it's, it's sometimes it, it's sometimes they're not. A lot of juniors are not ready for that. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And when you say unique, unique in the the fact that you're doing it different to other colleges or unique for the kids coming in and just seeing no, it differently? I, I can't comment on what happens at other colleges. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we play against all the colleges. So, I mean, they're all doing a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, just this recent season, I have to give a bit of a bit of a plug. We, we end top eight with both teams, which is the first, first uh, which was a major goal that we set this season. Uh, this year, I can talk more about that later on. But um, I mean, I don't know if we're doing it different to other programs. Every program probably has their own nuances in terms yeah. of um, the the tradition of the program. Um, you know, you have the Harvard program. Mike Way has been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. One thing, one thing I'll definitely say is it takes quite a few years to build your um, your team culture. And, and and that is also inherited. So probably when there's a change of coach, it can change drastically. But if it's yeah. been the same coach, the team culture will, will be evolving, but will be pretty much very similar as, as the program goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, David and I have been together four years now. So we've definitely, um, you know, there's a lot of conversations that goes on and there's a lot of hit and miss and there's a lot of that's working, that's not working. And then as you go along, you sort of work together with the players. Every year you lose four players and gain four players, three or four players. So that mm-hmm. that brings another dynamic in depending on what their characters are going to be like. Um, so, mm. yeah, it's, it's, it's a moving feast, if you know what I mean. It, it totally. never, it, you never really feel, I feel like we'd, we've done well um, the last years and we're definitely moving in the right direction, but, it's not something where you feel like you can rest on your laurels and say, oh, our team culture is there because mm. it's, it's, it's dynamic. Mm. It's, yeah, dynamic it's dynamic, isn't it? And and with that team culture, let's just stay with that for a tiny bit longer. Um, how much of a say do the players have? Like, like, is there like a nice open forum or is it a little bit like, actually, guys, like this is really going to work for you. Trust us in this. How does that evolve with like the coach being author- authoritarian and yep. also the player having a say in how they develop themselves. So what do you think on that? Um, I would say it depends on the, on the player. Uh, okay. A lot depends on, I guess it depends on a few things. A lot depends on starting from like before they arrive, what sort of coaches they've had, mm-hmm. what sort of environment they've had. Um, we get a lot of players who I feel like are not used to working um 
in a professional way in terms of having a structure of training and 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 being consistent with it right um you'd be surprised about little things like doing a a, a proper warm-up and a proper cool down mm-hmm. um if you if your coach has been big on that and that's been something that's been a big part of his development then coming into our environment won't be difficult if your coach has sort of been one of those uh, I don't believe in warming up. I, I don't think there's that many out mm-hmm. there, but there are different different sort of shades of that, if you know yep. what I mean. Some mm-hmm. are very big on it. Some are, uh, they know it needs to happen. Um, you know, like, so your habits, I suppose, your habits and your your upbringing, let's say, in, in, in squash terms, will affect where you're at when you arrive. Mm-hmm. Um, your parents, your mm-hmm. your you know your home life what what are their ideals and what are their uh, what are their styles um because when you come away especially for some of the american kids they come away for the first time sort of thing yeah they've, they've been sent off to college you know and and you're on your own sort of thing and so you bring with you um your your you know your family values and stuff like that and your, your squash values um the other thing I think that affects it a lot in, ter- in terms of the structure of the team culture is we have team captains. Um, and the team captains, that's also every year uh, a bit tricky. Uh, and we, we, we definitely don't feel like we have the right formula for choosing them. Okay. Every program has a different... Uh, I, I hear left and right how different programs choose their captains. Um, some captains... Some, for some programs, it's a rite of passage. When you become a senior, which mean, which is basically your fourth year in college, mm-hmm. when you become a senior, you automatically become captain. Okay. I know there are some programs that have that. Um, so they can have pro- several captains, like if there's what there's four yeah. players in the final year. Mm. There's more than one. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have, like I said, on the men's team, we have 18 players, so one captain's not going to be enough. Um, but, and sometimes it's hard to if if you're choosing the captains which is what we sort of do we have a bit of a mix we have a Mm -hmm. bit of a if you want to be captain you can give us a motivation letter on why you want to be captain cool um and then we take that on board you know david and i we definitely have our have our we you know we work very closely with these kids so we know them very well we know their leadership styles their leadership capacities we know whether what they're sort of where they're held on the team in terms of, of respect and so on. So we, we feel that mm-hmm. some things, some teams it's a pure vote, mm-hmm. but David and I feel like that becomes a popularity. It contest. does. Yeah. It can be tricky that kind of, mm. yeah. So, but, but that's also what I was, uh, what I was alluding to before the tradition of the program sometimes determines how these things are done. Um, yeah. We, we have, we have done the voting thing um we've done the david and i choosing we've done the mixture of the two um we're currently at sort of you know tell us why you want to be captain mm. then, then we quite like what we do is is listen to what the current captains or what the the outgoing captains maybe think of mm. who the new captains could be um and um we've had some very good captains especially on the on the well on both teams we've had very good captains um, that have been able to get the respect of the team, perform as a player, um, keep their academics uh, where they need to be. Yeah. Um, so it's that's quite a huge 
it's quite a lot of balls in the air, if you it know is. what I mean. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, it needs a special character to have that happening, yeah. isn't it? Mm. And that's that's something that they've achieved, and that's something that goes on their CV. Um, mm. Definitely in America, if you stay in America and you're being employed and you were a varsity athlete and a captain on a varsity team. Pretty big. Mm. That's something that that can then help you in your in your career. I like um, that. So the, so the captains play a big role in the culture. We work obviously close, closely with the captains to try to get to the team, mm -hmm. if mm -hmm. you know what I mean. Yeah, because, um, yeah, it's kind of coming from the coaches is all important, but actually when it's someone on like their level, their age group, like someone in the trenches with them, that can be 10 times more valuable than the same message coming from you guys at different points. You know, I think at different points that that works well. And I love that idea. And yeah, no, I'm, I'm gravitating. I quite like that one where they got to submit their their letter, I suppose, because then you as a coach can yeah. hold them accountable to that throughout the season said, hey, listen, you said this, this and this. You know what? Like maybe you're not delivering on that. That that could be quite a cool way to kind of keep yeah. them on it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it goes up and down as well. Like what I've what I've learned in the four years I've been there. So I've I've now seen a whole class sort of come in as a freshman and 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 go out sort of thing. So um, they change. I mean, you know, we're a bit older, Jesse, so we're not changing that much from year to year. But mm -hmm. but between like eighteen and twenty two. Yeah. Um, they're changing dramatically every year. And what, I, what I've noticed is, you know, the freshmen, when they come in for their first year, they think they know what it's all going to be. And, and it takes us a few months to get them to realize that it, it's a bit different than what they thought it was going to be. Um, they have some hit and miss successes or, or failures. Um, so, yeah, coming in um, as a freshman, um, and and then the ups and downs of the season. Some of them, some some freshmen come in and are immediately starting nine. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of when you recruit, you recruit. You know, if you've got nine players, sometimes you recruit a player that's going to be a, a top four player. Sometimes you recruit a player like when Siva was recruited, she was number one from the beginning to the end. Mm -hmm. But quite often you recruit players that come in and you're not really sure where they're going to fit. Yeah, and they might be anywhere between five and ten. Mm -hmm. And they might also be just on the on the cusp of 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 being starting nine. Mm -hmm. um, so and, and and you mentioned sorry to just jump in here walk ons versus recruited players. So maybe it's a good time to just differentiate those couple of things. So what's the difference there? Um, so a recruited player. So every year, every class that we recruit, we get um, between two and four players. Uh, that we can recruit. And that that's sort of determined by Cornell based on how many we're losing and also based on overall numbers, student athletes. Um, mm -hmm. So you then, you know, we're just sort of actually just finished our, our recruiting class for 24 or nearly finished um, for, for 2024. Um, you then, you know, one of my jobs is to do a little bit the research and, and we start with a hundred players um and and over over the period of our of our recruiting timeline we narrow them down we go to see them play sometimes in europe sometimes in america um we we talk with them we get to know them um and that's that's a re and then you're a recruited athlete right um a walk on it can be for example that you are academic like that's one thing maybe i didn't say to get into cornell whether you're a student athlete or not a student athlete, 
you've got to be very intelligent. Mm -hmm. um, I, I did a little bit of research today. You need to be in the top 25% of, of, of kids for your age. Wow. And Cornell, Cornell accepts only 10% of applicants. Um, <laughs> so, but as a student athlete, you have a little bit of an advantage in that yeah. your, for instance, your, your academics can be slightly lower. Um, you're being offered a spot. You're being offered a recruiting spot. So that's a pretty valuable thing for somebody that might not have got into Cornell otherwise. Um, mm -hmm. A walk-on is somebody that's probably academically a bit stronger in some cases and gets into Cornell on their own steam. Mm -hmm. um, we, have a, we have a test. Uh, you've probably heard of an SAT test. Yeah, yeah I, I took them when I was in Zimbabwe because I was okay. quite close to going to Harvard at one point. And SATs yeah. kill me, man. They're brutal. <laughs> yeah, so split into two halves, 800 points for maths, 800 points for English. Um, you know, to get, into, to get into Cornell on your own steam, you've got to be around 1550 out of 1600. Um, so pretty smart. But there's quite a few kids that don't get recruited, but are very good squash players. And when they when they when they uh, get admitted to Cornell, they'll reach out to us and say, "Hey," and quite often we know them. Yeah. So as a walk-on, um, you might have reached out to us before uh, uh, applying to Cornell and say, "Okay, um, I'm I'm applying on my own. Um, I would love the chance to walk on." And David and I, we have the we have the feeling that that everybody has that chance. Um, some programs, I think, uh, are sort of drawing a line at a certain number and saying, sorry, we don't have room. Um, because we feel like walk-ons, generally walk-ons maybe are squash-wise, not, not quite the level to have been recruited, but mm -hmm. they're quite often pretty fit and pretty motivated um, because they have something to prove and they, nice. they want to be included. And they, that's and, good to have those in your team, isn't it? That's yeah, kind of yeah, good workhorses. Mm. And quite often they've they've brought a lot to the team culture in terms of training, um, setting goals, being consistent, um, building a team environment. So love that. Yeah, we really mm. we really we really value them also. Amazing. Um, right. Well, yeah, thanks for differentiating because I think it's quite, um, I've, I've, I've heard of both. I think I had a rough understanding, but that, that really helped yeah. in a way. So um, listen, Mark, you and David, you're, you're in the kind of trenches with these players. What advice would you give to players at college to get the best out of their time there? So, you know, you've seen probably some really good success. You've seen a few failures. Where do you see those athletes that really get the best out of their four years there? I think, um, yeah, I get asked that a lot, and and I'm, uh, we're busy with that on a daily basis. <laughs> I think that I think that time management is important. I think that um, obviously you have. We always say, and that's 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 a mandate from from the university as well. That academics come first, um, and. That's maybe the part of my job that I like the most. We, David and I, we do have a responsibility. Um, to these kids to make sure that they not only perform for the squash team, um, but that they that we also um, you know help them on their journey to to you know we're probably only talking talking five not even five percent of players that we have that are going to go on to play pro. Sure. Um, you know we have Sivo, we have Veer, um, a couple of others. Um, Wen Lee from Malaysia, she's mm. she's probably going to turn pro. But not that many. So the the rest of them are going to go on to either go back to their countries from where they came with a career, or they're going to stay in America and try to build a career. 
So academics is important. So, I mean, when you come in and you're trying to balance academics and the type of environment that we have, which is a pretty, it's a pretty intense thing. Like, the, the, you know, the, the kids are giving up two, three hours a day of study time mm. to train. Um, they're going away on trips. They're quite often studying on the bus on the way to, to matches. Sometimes even their exams are proctored by David and I, you know, at the hotel the night before the match sort yeah. of thing. Um, to, to balance that, I think if you're not able to manage your time, um, you're going to struggle. It's yeah. sort of like, you know, like if you grab a balloon and you squeeze it, it's eventually going to pop out somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Between one of your fingers, like I feel like I see these kids under pressure, and and you start to see the little telltale signs of mm. of you know the bulges appearing, and and that's where communication I think is very important. And so in 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 the beginning, in the first months, David and I make a big effort to try to get to know them. And we know we know these kids when they come in because we've recruited them and we've got to know them. But then it really begins, like you know, what, what are they like on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. And some of them are, some of them are academically, they do it easy. Some, some, some kids just amazes me. They, they, they go through the four years with a 4.0 GPA and, and train every day and perform at a high level. And you think, wow, um, Hmm. other kids need to work at it and it takes them a few years to get going. Um, so it's, it's, it's not easy communication. I would, I would say time management. I would say communication, communication with us. Yeah. It's big being able to put your hand up, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which we talk about a lot, you know, um, David and I are always in, and every, every college coach, not, not just David and I is doing this, uh, you know, our office is always open. Um, are you having trouble with choosing, uh, choosing courses? Do you have too many credits? Uh, I mean, we're squash coaches, but we're also involved in, a holistic sort of approach to the to their whole life yeah you know? i course, mean yeah. Mm. well know, if you think about this ultimately you you want them to perform great on the squash court and you know you can't just purely compartmentalize if their other parts of their life mm. are in turmoil and then they expect to flick a switch and win the key match under pressure no chance yeah. that's why obviously the responsibility it's a yeah, tribe yeah. isn't it the whole tribe has to work yeah, together yeah. with this that's what you see. I mean, I look for telltale signs. I'm a little bit old school. I believe in 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 coming to training looking good. You know, clothes are looking good. Hair is done. Beards? And, any any beards on there? You think? What do you reckon? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean that goes up and down. You know, <laughs> you know, um, you know, Movember is a big thing. Um, but no, I mean, like when I say like how they're looking, I mean you can sort of see on their body language. If you see yeah. someone every day, you can see that they're, they're looking a bit disheveled mm-hmm. and then you might, you might go to them and say, Hey, what's going on? Uh, had a, had a prelim last night. Didn't go well, or, you know, feeling under the weather. There's a lot of illness goes around mm-hmm. the team. Mm-hmm. Um, COVID was brutal. We could do another podcast just about mm-hmm. that. I mean, sure. I can imagine. Yeah. Everybody has their COVID story, but mm. we, we continued through COVID. We didn't have competition, but we, we still oh. had them training every day. Um, oh. Must be hard to and, motivate them then. Yeah, yeah. We we came up we came up with some ways to motivate them. Don't worry, but <laughs> um, but it was it was tough. So yeah, I mean, advice to people that want to go down that path. To be honest, I, I have my own kids. As we now do the move to America, um, we'll probably go down that path as well. What mm. I see and what I've seen in the four years to be able to function in that environment of 
training every day, more or less like a, a semi full-time athlete and go to classes every day, you're, you're achieving something that's going to set you up later in life um, to be able to, to, to sort of function under that amount of pressure and to be able to set goals. The other thing we didn't think talk about is the whole social aspect. Mm -hmm. It's really like three things, you know, you got your academics, your squash, and then the social aspect of being at college, mm. I, I sort of see that as like you can only really concentrate on two at a time. You, you could you could maybe do your academics well enough and have a great social life, and your squash mm. will suffer. Sure, you can, you could you could do the, the the social side and forget about your academics and make sure that your squash is good. Okay. Um, mm. And so when I talk to the athletes quite a lot at certain periods of the year, like January February is our sort of peak moment. Mm -hmm. the social life has to take a back seat I'm not saying that they can't you know blow off steam and they can't ha hang out with their friends but if they're doing that at the expense of sleep it's going to affect their health it's going to affect their performance as you know totally. and it's going to affect their time management as well mm. so somewhere along the line something's got to give totally. um mm. Yeah, so well, on on just on that thread, just to kind of flip it, maybe as as one kind of one of the closing questions is, what behaviors do you see players falling into the trap of doing that maybe lets them down? Is it the imbalance? Is it the again lack of communication, time management? Is it just the opposite? But there might be more nuanced ones. So yeah, what 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 are some of the things that really let the athletes down, the student athlete down when they're in their college system? I think yeah, I think. I think organizational skills, um, mm -hmm. you know, like uh, it's a running joke. Um, one of the kids on the team that's now a senior, um, I would see him in the morning sometimes and I'd ask him, have you had breakfast? You know, and quite mm -hmm. often he just got up and walked straight to class. Wow. And then, then been in class and come to training and, and, and been feeling crap and, and eating, eating a, a Mars bar or something on the way to training like you can only get away these young kids are pretty resilient they can get away with that for a while um but eventually it catches up with them um so you know going to bed on time getting up on time making sure you have a decent breakfast um you know going to class having that sort of uh, looking forward to mm -hmm. your day and getting some sort of planning of okay you know what time is training when am i going to fit in a meal um, they have they have access to to obviously um, you know uh, food halls on campus and things like that. For a student athlete, sometimes that's a bit tricky because our training times can sometimes interrupt when the food hall hours are. Yeah. A student athlete has more challenges in organizing themselves to get up, get the right amount of sleep, get up, um, get to class on time, uh, get to training on time. Um, but it's it's yeah it's it's mm. possible. But they got to be organized. Sure. Um, yeah. And then that, that probably links to if they're feeling, you know, kind of overwhelmed, that's when the communication comes back in with you, with their their their, their kind of guidance counselors, whoever that may be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we have, yeah, we, besides David and I, who are sort of like first port of call, mm. we have, um, and every college has uh, an immense um, amount of resources on campus to to support these guys. I mean, Student athletes have have direct access to tutoring. Um, they have access to to mental health uh, professionals, nice. people that just want to chat. 
Um, we have on the team, we have a, a student advisor who's sort of like, he's he's a sort of bit of like the nutty professor. He's, he's one of these these guys. He's actually an environmental professor and he cool. believes in, we have too many too many kids that are, want to make money and, and, and go into finance and not enough kids who want to save the world. Um, I like he's that. a student advisor and anytime we have a problem, a kid's maybe struggling in a class or a kid's trying to choose a class or a kid is needs some advice on 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 their whole routine of of of, of their academics or whatever mm -hmm. he's the guy we go to and and he's helped us out of a lot of a lot of difficult uh, so it um, sounds like um he gives like that other completely zoomed out perspective going like yes like you think something's really important and like you know obviously the exams and getting a career and making money but he probably kind of zooms out and goes hey guys listen we're on this rock orbiting the kind yeah, of universe yeah. this is like let's yeah. get real about this <laughs> yeah he's, he's a pretty cool guy actually actually to be honest for, for me um being on campus of a, of a of an ivy league uh university with all i mean most of these kids are way smarter than me um you know and and you, you, we've got a couple of kids on the, on the team that are doing engineering um and i just love listening to them talk about what they're doing because it's it's, it's 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 high level stuff you know mm -hmm. and and uh i'm i'm helping them with their squash and I'm, I'm a mentor for them in terms of their their life and everything but i'm still learning from them of 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 what they're doing it's it's a lot to know actually for just a just a squash coach and being on campus you know, there's a lot to learn still. There's a lot to know about all the different um, options and different uh, offers that the university can give. Um, so sometimes I feel like a little bit of a an amateur when it comes to um, campus life and stuff like that. So yeah. every day- Listen, a, it sounds- Sounds like you're, you're of that school of the growth mindset that, you know, like we said at the beginning, sure. a lifelong learner, you, you're a sponge, yeah. you're absorbing, you're filtering it through your kind of vision, and then you're putting it back out into the world in the way that you think is going to help others. And that's only a healthy, yeah. awesome thing. And, you know, that's, I heard a, I heard a great quote recently um, along the lines of, you know, like we want, we all want a happy life, right? But a happy life is not about the reduction of struggle. It's, it's about finding a meaningful struggle. And I really like yeah. that. It's kind of meaningful struggle is quite a cool way to look at it. So we're all going to struggle. Yeah. We're all going to find the difficulties, but is it a meaningful struggle? You know, and maybe it linked to what we just said there, but yeah. yeah I mean, if you're not, if you're not, if you're not putting yourself somewhere uncomfortable, then you're not, you're not really growing. Um, and, but like you say, it's about learning to deal with the uncomfortable, mm -hmm. um, learning, to, learning to sort of accept it. Quite often I have, I have, um, conversations with with players during matches you know and they'll be complaining and they'll be saying it's so hard coach and they're, they're in the way all the time and I can't get around to play the ball and and then the referee is making crap calls when I'm, I'm like yes that's all true but you chose for it you know what I mean it, it was your choice to play this game you know and we've all been there you've been there as well Jesse I know and you know you know it's it's one of those games that you you choose to play or it chooses you Mm -hmm. but you, you chose for it yep. you know like so so embrace it and david talks about that as well embrace embrace the work embrace the pain embrace the struggle um because you're always you're always chasing that sort of carrot at the end of of being in this uncomfortable match or in this uncomfortable training period when you get through that looking back you feel powerful yeah you, know? you feel huge you think wow i got through that and i and i won or you know, like it's always sweeter winning a winning a five setter where you were like match ball down 
mm. you you win matches like that, you, you just feel bigger and better for every time you do it, sort of mm. thing. So I I I talk to them like that and say, you know, okay, today it didn't work, but but you know, stick at it and and embrace it and you know, we're always chasing that sort of that sort of reward at the end mm. that you get from that that sort of uh, uncomfortable yeah. struggle. And um, just to add like my final thought to that, it's a a quote I trot out a lot. It's the Mandela quote where I never lose, I win or learn. I love that. Like, so even if you've lost, there's learning within that loss, like learning you as a character, learning like I've got through it. I haven't actually won on the scoreboard, but I've won by my internals. My internals have dealt with the thing in the healthiest way. If they haven't, okay, we reflect on that and we build it for the next time. So I love that. We never lose, we win or learn. I I really think that's a cool one. but listen, Mark, this has been an awesome kind of big overview on things. What I think we definitely should do at some point is go into a bit more detail about like what we just spoke about at the end there, the nuance of like on the squash court, the little subtleties of how to deal with nerves, how to how to kind of, you know, with the big team environment, if you're the last player on. So for me, it feels like a cool excuse just to get a second podcast yeah, at yeah. some point, if you'd be up for that. No, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, mentality that goes into it. And obviously that's your, your area of expertise. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's there's not a lot of time though. That's one thing I'll say. It's mm-hmm. it's it's, it's a um, it's a. I mean, right now we're in our sort of slower period. David and I are recruiting and and things like that. Um, and and getting ready for for preseason, which is which is another mm-hmm. another thing that we're trying to to do better and and stuff like that. You have your busy periods, and when you're in that busy period, um, there's not a lot of time to reflect. You just you're just going and going and going. So. It's about sort of reflecting at this period of the season nice. on what what went well and what didn't go well. Um, also talking to the players about what they want or expect for next year mm-hmm. um, and going again next, next September. Well, listen, um, I thoroughly enjoy this chat. It sounds like you and David are doing an incredible job purely by the, not purely, but the results are evident of it, but actually the, the humans and the people you're growing along the way. So listen, I'm sitting here admiring the work you've done. So wait, well done. Keep flying that flag. And listen, let's talk and figure out when we can get maybe a second one in and, and get into the more nuance of the the details of the on-court stuff. But I um, hope you enjoyed today as well, Mark. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. Thanks, mate. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.